the China Syndrome. It's about people, people who lie, and people faced with the agony of telling the truth. Right. People like Kimberly Wells, a television reporter paid to smile, not to think. A few words about a veterinarian who makes house calls on sick fish. Or is it aquarium calls? Richard Adams, a cameraman who never learned how to play by the rules. Will you get that other room, get that radiation all over that cute little body. Jack Goodell, an engineer who knows too much to tell the truth. In anything that man ever does, there's some element of risk, right? Well, that's why we have what we call defense in depth. And cares too much to lie. No accident. It will start with a tremor in a nuclear power plant, where it will end will depend on three people. I would say you're probably lucky to be alive. Same for the rest of Southern California. Jane Fonda. Let's face it, you didn't get this job because of your investigative abilities. Kimberly, don't fight it. Jack Lemmon. There was a vibration. Michael Douglas. I don't know that accident is the right word. Accident is the right word. The China Syndrome. The harder they try, the more resistance they meet. They've got their own security men. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you want me to make it any clearer? The closer they get, no. the more threatening it becomes. No. The China no. Syndrome. Today, only a handful of people know what it really means. And they're scared. Everybody keep your station. Everybody keep your station. Soon, you will know. The China Syndrome. Yes. We've we've got to check out Copland. We've got to check out. If our podcast somehow influences an alien race, I'd be (laughs) really impressed. It's funny that this is, we keep talking about these movies and so many of them mirror our our past history with each other. You and me, yeah, of course. Yeah. What we're covering today, I mean, that was uh, just a few weeks ago at the the reactor down on the first floor. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we have nuclear power that 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 runs the whole lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a small amount of of uranium and plutonium, but um, you know, it does the job. And yeah, we've had a couple crises. We've, you know, Recon Cinema Studios is a large. Uh, large studio lot, extra large. I mean, it's the largest in, you can look it up online, mm-hmm. the exact measurements, but it uh, requires its own nuclear power. So, mm-hmm. you know, with that comes, you know, some human error and we've had uh, a, a lockdown or two, would you say, <laughs> over the yeah. years? And mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, thank God we have you here, David, to, you know, you run down there every time that siren goes off, you run down there and within moments it's handled and usually someone's fired. Yeah. My background is in uh, nuclear physics and all that. So, you know, I, I, I built this lot from the ground up, starting with the, the, the power plant. And, uh, you know, I, I moved away to get into podcasting. So, 
Uh, but I, you know, whenever it, whenever it strikes, I throw on a white lab coat and I run down there and I start taking care of business. And it's, you know, it's extra handy that it's the, the plant is right next to the commissary. So on your way out, you stop, you get a pastrami sandwich and it's yeah. heaven. Well, you'll often find me at the commissary. So, <laughs> you know, if I'm not in my office or in the studio recording uh, commissary, but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, like in, yeah. So watching this, uh, I felt like, boy, you and I, that the, we've, we've had to confront a lot of things together and uh, it, was, it, was, it was just like real life. Yeah. So why not cover, you know, like happens so often, you know, these real life situations, why not cover a movie that's similar to that? So that's mm -hmm. what we're doing here today. Uh, welcome back to Reconcinimation. I'm John Diner. I'm David Munchak. And this is the podcast that takes a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And we're checking out how they hold up today in 2021. Is it? Yes, it is. It's true. Yeah. No, it's, it's real. Uh, and our, our uh, cohort Brent is is back on assignment. We've had we've had a really it's been a fun month. We had our hundredth episode celebration, and it was amazing. And we we just had a great time uh, with that. And then of course that went right into Kurt's Kurt Russell's seventieth birthday celebration, which was another amazing time. So it's been like in a world that remains in some level of crisis. <laughs> We're just having a good old time at Rican Cinema Studios. Huh. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, life has to go on regardless of uh, what's going on in the outside world. So we're here. We're doing our jobs. Absolutely. Hopefully, Brent, you know, is uh, he's had some troubles. I mean, the Voorhees Institute uh, doesn't uh, doesn't play it safe all the time. So, you know, it, there's things that that are dangerous and keep him at bay. And uh, but we'll have him back again soon. Uh, oh, of course, know, yeah. he has to dip in and out as needed per his job requirements of uncovering all the scary and crazy things in this horrific world. Yeah, I mean, his buildup is all the way all year long up until October. October is like for Brent what December is for most people. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like his Christmas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> October is like his Christmas. Okay. Exactly. Or uh, the birthday month for some twenty-something girl. Yeah, you know how you know how those young ki kids today—they have a birthday month now. Oh yeah, they talk about oh, it's my birthday month. Like, oh my Pe god, people love themselves. That's so horrifying. It's not by just the a way. birthday; it's a birth month. Birth month, birthday, birthday week. Like that was obnoxious, and then now it's like this is my birth month. Like, no, everything should be special for thirty days. Are you out of your mind? what <laughs> i'm done with that so anyway yeah brent uh we'll see you on the next one get back yeah. here soon stay safe and you know last week we were talking uh we, we kind of singled out silkwood when we were uh going through kurt's career and mm -hmm. you know we talked nuclear power and nuclear disasters and and you know that was so much fun i thought we would uh, continue that discussion here today it's always a hot hot fun topic yeah absolutely yeah uh so no, no we should we should do that um i mean listen there's there's all sorts of places i mean there's three mile island and chernobyl like we mm -hmm. gotta get to those too so hopefully we'll get to those uh, very soon yeah yeah so we are looking at 1979's the china syndrome 
starring some of our favorites. We're welcoming them back to the to the show. We welcome back Jack Lemon. Of course, we talked about him uh, back in our Grumpy Old Men episode, mm-hmm. uh, which was season two, I believe. All right, and that was uh, you know <laughs> yeah. in that episode we took a look back at his career and Walter Matthau's career and and the two of them together and and their their comedy duo that lasted for for decades but yeah uh, so it's great to have jack back on the show we've got uh michael douglas welcome back we just okay. recently looked back at re- uh, romancing the stone so mm-hmm. I-, I think he's another actor that we haven't talked about on the show and now we're starting to dive into the douglas zone sure, uh, well. and of course mm-hmm. jane fonda joins the show for the for the first time of what yeah. will probably be many yeah, of course. And you don't let's not forget James Karen back back in. Oh show. yeah, we've got well whole, before we get to that whole oh. there's a whole list of actors that are in this movie that are are returning triumphantly to reconsideration. Oh, okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to jump the gun with all the cast members we were talking about. <laughs> I apologize. Uh but yeah, no, lots of returning faces. I mean, we're 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 hitting the hot late 70s era where, you know, things are getting a little real and uh you know, you have some major talents attached. So, you know, it, there's going to be so much crossover. You know, there's almost not enough time to go through it all. Yeah. Uh, and this movie is really, uh, I don't know, it really bridges a lot. Of, it's a, it's a, got a hand in a lot of different pots about what kind of movie this is. It's, you know, it's a, is it a is comedy. It a, is, is it a, a lighthearted it, comedy? Probably not. <laughs> is it a romantic comedy? <laughs> <laughs> is it a musical? Uh, <laughs> no, but it's dealing with a lot of themes that, yeah. um, you know, of course, your your nuclear crisis uh, storyline is your A storyline, but you've also got sexism in the workplace that mm-hmm. that is something that really was developed later on in the the uh, pre production of of the film, and and there, there's just a lot of layers to this movie more than I realized uh, the first time I saw it. So it w- mm-hmm. it was good to look back at it and. Um, yeah, when was the when was the first time you saw China Syndrome? Oh, last week. <laughs> a week Munchak. ago. <laughs> a week ago. Didn't know what it was about until I saw it. So you just said, make sure you pop this in. You're gonna love the nukes story. I'm like, what's the nukes? And then it's you're abbreviating, you know, as you want to do. Uh, and you're just talking about nuclear power because uh, there's no nuclear bombs. I mean, that's sometimes anyway. So yeah, no, hadn't hadn't seen it. Of course, I've heard about it my whole life. Um, I would have I would have thought probably for a long time. I probably would have said if someone asked me what is the China syndrome about, I'd be like, I think it's like about a virus <laughs> or like the end of the world. And yeah. I, literally, I think that's all I would have said about it because I had no clue. So it's funny the studio really didn't want them to use the word syndrome because exactly mm-hmm. that. Really, yeah, the, the people would associate it with a virus, and that's not what it is. So, yeah, because it seems like it'd be a disease or an illness or you know something that you know you'd be hospitalized for or you know our mental thing or whatever. So, um, yeah, see, I mean, you know, judge a book by its title. Sometimes, when was the first time you heard about it, though? Like, when when was it first on your radar? Do you remember it as a kid, or was it years later that you first really heard about the film? Uh, probably somewhere in the 80s when people talking about you know 
lists of movies of of something or other i, I mean I, I really couldn't pinpoint the first time i heard about it i have no idea so it's just something that's always existed mm-hmm. yeah i remember hearing about it as a kid and again i'm not sure exactly what time but i seem to always know about it i mean mm-hmm. nuclear the whole nuclear situation was so i mean it was nerve-wracking in the you know the cold war and the nuclear era was people were worried i I remember just being really young and there were other movies and and tv movies that were out there that were about nuclear disasters and it just seemed like the scariest thing i don't think it i mean (laughs) nuclear it it was scary i mean and going back to the cuban missile crisis and everything i mean there was everyone really thought they were just going to be killed by nuclear bombs like the entire world was going to end um and that carried for another generation just in terms of that fear uh even when tensions had had eased um for for that i mean it's 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 fascinating how it sort of carries through i mean i think there's still a healthy fear of like nuclear disasters nuclear Mm -hmm. war um but it or, doesn't seem or accidents, like, you know, I guess I, yeah, I think accidents are probably the bigger concern, but with everything else that can go wrong, the, in the modern day, uh, you know, I, no one's really talking about nuclear, nuclear accidents or, or, or issues right now. I mean, it's certainly an issue. Um, it doesn't get a lot of press these days, but no, we've gonna... got plenty of other, <laughs> we've yeah. had, plenty of other problems uh, in the last few years so yeah nuclear the nuclear fear can can subside for a bit but i'll say i've i've had a healthy fear of nuclear energy and power and bombs probably my entire life just from melting in from the previous generation and then understanding the sheer uh effects of it and i mean you study you stomach the atomic weapons and all of that from uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, mm. uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. I mean, you just, you understand what can really go wrong. And, and I mean, it's like nuclear energy literally changes matter. Like it breaks matter down, right. uh, that you, you know, you generally, you can't, you, and, and the energy involved, like energy doesn't get destroyed or created other than within a nuclear reaction. <laughs> it's pretty scary shit. So, uh, this was playing, I think, on a healthy fear in, in the 70s of, of what maybe could go wrong where so much of the country and, 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 very, and the world, I guess, was very dependent on nuclear energy um, mm-hmm. where it still felt very scary. Yeah, it was. Well, did you have to do the, the nuclear drills where you would have to, the, the alarm would go up? Yeah, that was done by the time we were in school. Yeah, don't tell me you did that. No, 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 no. I just remember hearing my parents told me about it. And yeah, and I I remember like having this fear that it was inevitable that World War Three was going to happen with somebody at some point. And some, you know, there would be some kind of wasteland. (laughs) Yeah, that, that would that's what the world would become. You know, I saw the Road Warrior and Mad Max at a very young age. And Uh the those movies and uh there was a tv movie called the day after have you have right. you seen that or I haven't hear seen about it, it? but yeah i know about it but yeah yeah it was one of the most like highest rated movies of the week wasn't it know, like TV. rod serling or something or no like no it wasn't remember. rod serling it was directed by uh nicholas meyer who did star trek 2 oh, okay 
So, oh, I'm thinking it was back in like the 50s, but I, or 60s. No, that's uh, you're, you what might be thinking, thinking of? of Failsafe. That's with uh, Henry Fonda. Okay, yeah. I'm thinking of the Omega Man. I'm sorry. Never mind. <laughs> the Charlton Char- Heston classic? I'm thinking of the Omega Man from the oh, 60s, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Well, he did a few. I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, he did a few nuclear sort of post-nuclear disaster movies. Yeah. Because you could say Planet of the Apes is one also. Clearly. Yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> the... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so I remember all that discussion was like that, that era of the the nuclear fear had just just kind of ended, but there was still this the Cold War with Russia, and you know that was that ended. You know, we were in what fourth, fifth grade ish when that was over. So, you know, we were again coming in at the tail end of that. But the eighties and Reaganism like seemed so much about that. Uh, the nuclear presence seemed, and even in like. G.I. Joe's and Transformers. It was like they were dealing with these huge nuclear type weapons as well. Yeah. I mean, there's always like a looming disaster coming, you know, and like the good people have to fight the bad people from, you know, <laughs> stopping the, this global terror uh, and, and and everything. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's funny how like the, yeah, the, the 80s were very much like there was always these in, in, cartoons and popular culture there's just like there's just straight up bad guys and they're straight up good guys and sometimes the bad guys have access to terrible things and only the good guys can can take care of it right they're righteous and and right um and you know so a movie like this uh with it's just playing straight on the fears of you know there's i mean there's so many different themes but it's uh there's a, a it's about you know people's complacency but it's also about capitalism and it's mm-hmm. also um finding a comfort level with with what you're i mean that's not a theme but like a comfort with like new technology i mean it's still you know it's it's at the the tail end of this of this nuclear panic kind of thing um before it kind of became more widely accepted i mean i think it's like nuclear energy became more widely accepted throughout the sixties and the seventies. And then now we're talking, we're almost in 19 it's 1979 when this movie yeah. comes out. And of course we're still uh, only a few days away from three mile Island occurring um, when it's released, but we'll talk about that. You know, I think there was still a, he- a healthy fear uh, among the populace. And I think this plays on it really well. Yeah, I uh, got. I didn't see this movie until I didn't actually see the movie until college. I was always aware of it, and I had seen the day after, which was really disturbing. I mean, that, it was that was it's famous for how much it bothered people because it seemed so. Other than the effects of you know the nuclear explosion going off, where people just sort of like. <laughs> vanish <laughs> like it's yeah. really dated uh vfx but mm-hmm. uh the tone of the movie was so depressing um and really really hard to watch i mean it's even got St- steve gutenberg and it is a what? downer yeah i love the gutenberg can you can think you... about a, a, a guten classic that's a downer no can't. they're all they can't all... be real yeah no no uh, so yeah so that movie was really shocking and i also had seen a another tv movie called red alert and which stars william devane and i believe it was made in 77 76 77 
And I have not seen it since. I don't think the entire movie's on YouTube. I think there's only like clips of it. Um, it was available on VHS and vanished and has not been seen since. Oh, wow. Is there, do you think William Devane like tried to snatch up all the copies of it because there's a something, you know, kind of like how Sly got rid of that one movie that in Hollywood that you don't want to make sure anybody saw? Like William Devane had a similar scene or something. I think, you know, sometimes there's, there's projects that are just too good, that (laughs) they're so good that the people, the people can't handle it. So. I think you're right. I think Devane just had this yanked and he's got all the, all the hard copies. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, there was some imagery in that movie that I recall now this coming from like four or five year old remembering uh, uh, it's another nuclear disaster where, you know, a engineer has to go into the, like into the core essentially to like shut this, uh, this power plant down and there was some, uh, I just remember that that a, a guy with a background, this big bright orange background that he was like silhouetted against that stuck in my brain. Um, I'm, maybe that's changed. Uh, maybe that wasn't exactly how it was. But hmm. so I had this sort of paranoia of, of nuclear disasters. So I actually stayed away from the China syndrome for years and I think I've told this story on the show before, but I was, I remember my sophomore year, it was September, October. I got really sick. Like I got the, one of the worst flus I've ever had. And I was in bed for like a week and it wasn't even like, that wasn't even the part where I was faking it. Like that was the real part of the sickness. (laughs) (laughs) Not like where I dragged it out another couple of days uh, to be lazy, but, um, so I was in bed for, I think three or four days and a friend of mine just, we had been talking about movies and he just came over and put a box of movies in my, in my room for me to mm-hmm. just, he's like, go through these. You have nothing else to do. Like, don't worry about your homework and all that stuff. So uh, it was a whole bunch of Billy Wilder movies and right. random other movies. This movie, The China Syndrome, was one of them. So that was the first time I saw it, and oh. I I don't know. I I think that's really this was probably the movie where I really sort of fell in love with Jack Lemmon. Oh, okay. So yeah. in that box, I watched Some Like It Hot. I watched The Apartment, and I watched The China Syndrome. Whoa! So that's a that's like some of his best stuff no. all at once. My God, oh, what an overload! You're right. So I am. I, <laughs> Do, would you? It's a lot all at once for a sick, I, sick teen. Well, I became a lemon lover, so uh, <laughs> it's uh, that's a uh, well, that's intense. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe he got you through that all uh, with his powerful performances. There was something about Jack Lemon that I really, I don't know, I just really connected with. That yeah. uh, you know, I, I like these actors, and Paul Newman, we've talked about before, is kind of similar to that, and that. He's got these movie star looks, but he always plays the everyman. Mm-hmm. And so does Jack. You know, Jack, Jack Lemon. I mean, I guess he. I guess he's kind of. I mean, he's good looking and, sh- and everything. Is he? Yeah, he's a handsome guy, but he's is he not. A, is he a movie star looking guy? I feel like he's. The... No, no, no. I mean, Paul Newman had the movie star looks, but his the character he plays. You know, he played most of the time was very down to earth and not, you know, that 
broad right. kind of caliber. Jack so, Lemon also play. I'm not saying Jack Lemon has those same movie star looks, but he always plays an everyman. Okay. So very, he's, a, he's a really identifiable guy. You know, he just seems yeah, seems like a real, real dude. He seems like any anyone's uncle or neighbor or friend, um, but uh, care, he he does have a gravitas to him that uh, you know you really believe everything that he's bringing forth. Um, yeah, no, 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 like you you understand his passion for his like his character's passion for his work in this film uh, pretty easily, pretty quickly, and it, and you know and. That's that's the driving force for everything he does uh, going forward. Even mm-hmm. when he has to sort of be a company man and then really sort of understand the truth of what he's been dealing with, um, and that his sense of, of right of of good uh, and righteousness, uh, you know, shines through at the very end. Yeah. Um, you know, so uh, and, and it's and it's hard for you know it's hard for a, a regular person to take a stand. It's 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 a it's a big step. To go beyond, you know, and um, I, you know, yeah, a guy like that can really carry it, carry it forward, because um, yeah, he is sort of the everyman, and then he really has to make a choice. Because there's other, there's other lot, plenty of other everymans in that that power plant, mm-hmm. um, but he's the only one with the the guts to go forward. Um, yeah, it's kind of it's uh, it's a great performance from him. Yeah, yeah, it really is. He he was. You know, there's different sort of phases to Jack Lemon's career. It feels like like the apartment and some like it hot. There's that young Jack Lemon. There's this Jack Lemon, which is who we kind of were introduced to when we, you know, started watching film. You know, the 70s Jack Lemon with that gray hair. And then there's grumpy old men, Jack Lemon, who <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. there's like the three levels of lemon. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh exactly. but yeah man versus institution is is a theme here that you know comes across pretty strong it's mixed in with the conspiracy theories of the post nixon you know that 70s uh, american cinema that that i'm such a big fan of uh, china syndrome is definitely one of those conspiracy theory uh movies yeah, I mean, it certainly plays on fears, and you know, that's. I mean, the conspiracy theories sort of exist because of, you know, a distrust of the status quo, a distrust of what you see uh, being reported in the mainstream, but also I think a lot of fear. Uh, it, it's it's fear based, and uh, you you sort of glom onto the things that make you feel a little bit safe. You know, what, what's the logical thing? I feel afraid of this. I feel that I can't trust this, but what makes more sense? And, you know, a a conspiracy theory is sort of built out of, you know, the pieces, you you know, you sort of come to a conclusion first and work backwards to find, well, how do I put all these pieces together to get to the idea that, Oh, uh, there is a, uh, a secret group in charge of this thing and they're doing that, or all this secret money is for this, or, there are these things that people are not telling you. Um, but I mean, as we've learned over the years too, is, uh, and it's not, it's, it's, and it's less based on conspiracy. It's really just fact that corporations and, and, and businesses will hide the truth uh, of the public good. Uh, we saw that with, with, uh, with big oil. We saw that with big tobacco. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the big tobacco knew that, 
what they were doing back in the 50s they had reports that these things were damaging people that cancer was happening big oil knew they were uh, changing the climate back in the 60s this isn't this isn't this isn't phony this is actually real and it all came back out later um so you know you can't it it, it reaches into that very natural fear fear to you know not believe that a corporation or a big business um has your best interests in mind because they don't I, I, this is not I, I and i think the sense of this movie is not it's not very political but it plays into the fears very well right but um but i think if you already have a healthy fear or skepticism over a large entity um acting you know uh, uh to, to thriving and everything does that entity owe you anything and i i can it's sort of a thing where there's people that are anti-corporate anti-business and there's people that are maybe anti-government um and then there's a healthy mix in between um where you know we feel at least with government there's a there's a there's a, a thought that we can control the government in terms of who we vote in and vote out um but you really have no choice uh unless you're a shareholder in a company uh, to, to boot out uh, the, the board of directors. I mean, it's right. Uh, but a company's going to do what a company does. So, well, I mean, they're, they're in it to make money. They're not necessarily in it for the best interests of the right. consumer. Exactly. I, I mean, mean, ultimately, of course, I don't think any of them wants anything bad to happen to the consumer because then they won't be able to consume, but that's not priority one. Right. I mean, it's, it's about the next quarter, uh, for the most part it's so I, this uh, China syndrome, isn't really trying to speak to a lot of those things. Um, not, not, not very heavily handed. Um, but it's a reaction from it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is, it's a recognizable fear. Like what could people do, uh, if they had the power uh, to, to, to control these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Jack Lemon is, is that every man is like, He's in between the both worlds. I mean, he he talks about how his character talks about how he loves the plant and he loves the the work he does, and it's you can tell it's it's him trying to square that love for really what is what what's best for everyone. Um, he thought the work he was doing was for best for everyone, and then how do you, how is that square with bad choices that he's being forced to make, and. Uh, you know, and so he has to come up. He has to come up with a choice at the end, where he's the only one who can do it. None, none of his, none of his friends, nobody he's worked with, uh, will follow him, or believe him. Um, it's pretty. It's pretty. <laughs> it, it. I think it. And I think it plays into the idea that like everyone was is going to make choices that that suits them best, and then maybe there's a standout person that is going to risk it all. And, uh, you know, I think we all have a hopefulness that someone will be the whistleblower. Someone will say something, someone will do the right thing, but this movie shows you it's, it's not quite that easy. You don't know if someone's actually going to do the right thing. Yeah. You, you, you use two interesting keywords there that are really important of what this, some of the things this film is about power. And then you said choices. So yeah, not just that, but th this movie is about the consequences of your choices. Mm -hmm. 
So all of these, all of our characters make these choices that are drastically going to change their situation. You know, he makes the choice to initially tow the company line. Uh, sorry, uh, Jack Lemon's character, Jack Goodell, makes the choice to tow the company line and then reverse that. You know, yep. once once he sees what the company is trying to do and that they're not really addressing it, that he the the, the issues at the plant and the push to just get everything back online at, at no matter the cost, he makes the choice to to turn on them and to do the right thing and to expose them. You know, Jane Fonda's character, Kimberly Wells, uh, the TV reporter, makes the choice to pursue this story and push. And, you know, when she knows that if her boss finds out, like that's going to be the end of her her career, probably. And then you've got Michael Douglas's character as the cameraman, Richard Adams, who makes the choice to steal the, the footage, the real footage that they illegally shot yeah. of the first incident and start the exposure. Yeah. And it's and it's funny because it's not like Jane, like Kimberly or um, or Richard, Michael Douglas's character. These aren't idealists. You know, they're people that just find themselves um, with information and like they sort of have a their moral compass points them to sort of finding the truth and what what that means and and what's what's best for everyone i mean i guess richard is more a little more idealistic in terms of like doing what's right whereas kimberly is a little more career driven um but also in the pursuit of truth you know and so like working together they sort of they're a one-two punch to try to get jack to to do the same because i mean she interviewed you know she interviews jack uh, Jack Lemon, and you know he he defends the company pretty well. Like he he he's not he's telling basically half truths to keep her at bay. You know, it's just it wasn't that big of a deal, and it's you know this is what happened, but it's not you know it's not an accident, it's not a disaster, all of that. Um, but then as as he starts to learn more, you know, and 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 getting to the the real core of things, uh, he he can't he can't tow tow that company line like you're saying so. Um, you know, and it might have been Kimberly and Richard who sort of influenced that to to, to take him to that next level where he's mm-hmm. got to do the right thing instead of just sort of accepting the company, uh, you know, and, and what they say and what they're supposed to do. And Kimberly's you- so Kimberly's also got a, you know, she's sacrificing her integrity to you know, get ahead uh, to further her career. So she's got this. She's got a whole separate struggle internal struggle that she's dealing with that is sort of i guess the sort of the b storyline to the film Mm -hmm. is it i mean is she struggling internally like in terms of like the ethics of of what she's pursuing well no i think i think in the beginning of the film when she when they first bring the footage back and uh was it jackovich her boss Mm -hmm you know, says they're just going to put it in the vault and not use it, that she's, you know, and she pulls Richard aside in the hallway because he's explosive and he's the hothead and he wants to do what's right. And she pulls him aside and says, like, I'm trying to further, like, I'm trying to get ahead. I'm trying to, I'm worrying about my career. And, you know, it's illegal to show this, this footage, even though morally it's the right thing to do. Hmm. We can't do it. So, she doesn't hold that line for very long, but she does battle with it. I think for a little while. Yeah. I mean, it, it is like a, uh, she sees the benefit to herself first 
very quickly, um, knowing that it could be a benefit to the American public. <laughs> um, you know, so it's got a it's it's a double whammy, uh, whammy, uh, as they say in the news business, um, for her. But yeah, I like, yeah, I, I don't think it lasts very long for where it's like she's being like opportunistic about this. I mean, any reporter wants a good scoop, um, and this is huge. I mean, this is a ba- this is a potential of a big cover up, and and like, you know, an, a near accident that could have affected millions, you know, yeah, she's like, I, I'm sure that registering with her, like what that can mean for her career, but also it's a story that needs to be told. So, you know, I don't, I, I think for the most part, no, no one in the audience is sort of like seeing Kimberly as, as, um, as that opportunistic person for very long. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she uh, I mean, she turns that corner pretty pretty fast after that moment. But there is, yeah. you know, a, a short part of the movie where she's struggling with it. Yeah, well, and it's you know because she so her her character is a local LA news reporter who is normally assigned to fluff pieces, you know, California living or something like right, like right. every so it's a it's an aspect of some Southern California culture thing. And that's like her story. So she's tired of covering like the the zoo births and uh, zoo animal births and and weird uh, you know local merchants and stuff. She she wants some hard news. And so this is a she was doing a feel good story about energy. I mean, she's creating a an, a special. Her and Richard were producing a special that the that the uh, network or whatever would have put put forward. And she was reporting on nuclear energy and how it works. And it was really much, I mean, it's a commercial for the nuclear industry uh, among whatever else she was covering. And, um, you know, she just happened to be at the right place at the right time. And then suddenly hard news became uh, something that's accessible to her. Um, you know, and, and Richard is not someone who's, he doesn't work for the, they make a real point that he's not someone that works for the, uh, the station, you know, right. he's, a, he's a freelancer. So he's kind of a wild card, you know, and he, <laughs> yeah, he's uh, your rebel. He's your anti-authority rebel. Yeah. He's, he's the stone cold Steve Austin of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's not in it for your revolution. He's, he's in it for the money. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're, he's your stone cold Steve Austin. He's your Han Solo, you know, he, he's absolutely. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so they, they get mixed up in, in, you know, a bigger, a bigger plot that, you know, if, if, Richard didn't re- surreptitiously uh, record the accident that was occurring. Um, they wouldn't know what they had on their hands. They could have sort of bought the line. Well, uh, yeah, they, they really just stumble into this whole story. I mean, you're right. They're doing the report on the uh, that, that positive piece about nuclear energy. And they're in the what they're in the um, the like sort of the media observing the the. the observatory if you will yeah watching the them jack lemon and his crew operate the plant and while they're there there's a tremor and they witness the reaction and they can it's all that without from their point of view it's without sound them just watching jack lemon and the rest and wilford brimley and the rest of their reactions and seeing the panic on uh, Jack Goodell's face and his body language, they can tell like this is this is not a, a normal, uh, even small kind of emergency. Something's going on here. So yeah. 
Yeah, and Richard was wise enough to just quietly roll the camera and record all of it. All right. Yeah. And then it's it's the it's the company's reaction to it, the to just you know make it go away, get it quiet, and get the plant back online because it's all about. For them, it's all about the, you know, there's a whole other contract that they're going for for another plant. So if they have to shut this one down, they'll never get that new contract. So that's yeah. the driving force here is the economics of it. Yeah. It's a, uh, yeah, there's always a business consideration for every decision that's being, that's happening. And, you know, you've got Richard Hurd and and these, <laughs> these private, this private meeting with people and trying to, uh, make sure that this can go the right way, so they're not losing millions of dollars. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, these uh, I mean, these plants are not not cheap, and every every minute is hundreds of thousands of dollars that they're not operating. So yeah, but but another keyword you said is power, and this movie is about power on, on so many levels. I mean, physical power physical. of energy and energy <laughs> nuclear. <laughs> Right. And then the, the, the right. Then the corporate Money. power. There you go. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> now you're saying. No, it's the the literal sense and the the figurative sense of yeah. you know the the power struggle between a, a guy who's trying to do what's right and even a reporter and and Michael Douglas who are trying to do what's right versus the huge corporation that's uh, that they're up against and, and they're not going to let that happen. They're going to use their power to squash that story and never let it get out. Yeah. Because I mean, they're, they're finding themselves in a very extremely unique situation of knowing something that, that would be best for the public good. And knowing that if, if this didn't get out, you know, the public would live in ignorance until something terrible happens and that the right thing would be to inform everybody, um, you know, what really went on. What is this, what is this company? What does this nuclear power really mean for them and their well-being? Uh, it, it really like, and at a certain point, it's about them sacrificing not only their careers, but their, 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 their futures, their lives. You know, what does it mean to, to sort of, have this information and try to and try to use it for the public good i mean it's and it gets into dangerous territory with um you know with 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 trying to blow the whistle on these things and you know people almost die (laughs) and some do at the end well and um, it's also about the power of the media too i mean don't forget that that's also the centerpiece here it's it's media versus this nuclear nuclear energy situation Mm -hmm. You know, the fact that the, the way that Kimberly Wells is able to use the media to force the truth out right at the very end, after so, sort of all is lost, <laughs> that, um, you know, she uses that power. So, in a in a sense that she, she sort of, I, I don't want to say wins in the end, but, you know, she is able to get the truth out and there's some sense of victory in that. Yeah, but well, it, it's it's tough because it, I think it, you know they couldn't do the exposure as 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 what they wanted to do. I mean, if if Jack was able to really just tell the truth about the X ray, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, the the things <laughs> that um, 
that the welds were not correct. I mean, yeah. it, all that's all he had to say on camera that there was evidence that these welds were not x-rayed and correct and they pose a great danger. But, you know, it, yeah, what what she does at the end, I think to at least get Wilford Brimley's character, uh, Ted Spindler, Spindler um, to at least admit that like, there's no way he was a crazy person. There's no way that what he was saying was was outrageous that he's, one of the smartest people, one of the best people. Uh, it feels like a win, like, but it's it's. They, I think the I think the the company still wins at the end. I mean, you know, public opinion can only sway so much. Right. Well. Well. Uh, that the and I think that's exemplified in, in the very the very last shot of the film where, you know, you see that you're back in the control room, the the TV control room where the director is and you see the one monitor, the live feed with Kimberly Wells and she, they've just had this very emotional moment um, where they sort of make good uh, uh, by Jack Adele finally. And then it just kind of pans over that, that this story is over and we're just moving on to the next thing. And what is it? It's a microwave commercial. A microwave commercial. Yeah. <laughs> An energy source. Uh <laughs> Uh, being being harnessed for the public good in your kitchen, um, very huge in the late seventies and early eighties. Uh, that there was a whole education going on for for households. Uh, yeah. My in the early eighties, my mother demoed microwaves uh, at a at a like at a, at a big a t- department store essentially. Um, where she learned about microwave technology and was educating the public. And she was doing popcorn, microwave popcorn samples to show like, look at like how this can be. Um, and she used to tell me about just like, what would be the, the safest way to use the microwave oven <laughs> as a kid. And these were giant, like heavy, like steel uh, and all <laughs> steel devices um, back then. But it, you know, it's, it's, that's a, a perfectly chosen um, commercial, I think, to show because because yeah, again, it's like here's your news, but then also here's a product we're going to sell you, but then it's also what about microwave technology? What you know, it, it it's supposed to raise. I think it's purposely supposed to raise another question mark in terms Absolutely. of Absolutely. what do you trust? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, James Bridges, the director, uh, said <laughs> that this movie's a monster movie, really. And yeah, te- technology is the monster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're really left with at the end, that the need for consumerism and especially throughout the 70s and definitely into the 80s mm-hmm. sort of overruled the, you know, the loss of this person and this tragic story that happened that, you know, people are going to move on to the next thing very quickly, that there's yeah. not going to be much of an impact. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, what it, it, it's like today, like, what if what if we found out, well, cell phones without a doubt have been causing cancer. Like it's definitely been the cell phones that have been causing cancer at a, a an increased rate of whatever, whatever percentage. Um, that's something that would never come out. <laughs> right. No, they would if never that, let that out. But I remember, I remember back when cell phones started to become getting close to ubiquitous or just, and I had met a, I had met a couple, I met one guy, his, I don't know, his uncle, was a CEO of, of a local communication telecommunications company. And he, he himself kept his cell phone in a lead line, like, like 
thing you put on your belt, like, you know, a pack on your belt when you used to clip them to your mm-hmm. belt, it was lead lined. And he told all his family, keep your cell phone in a lead lined container. Not to say that he knew the truth. I think it was just that he understood that there's so much we don't know that the safest move would be to just in case keep it keep it keep it as safe as possible um and i'm not saying that as a, that's that was uh because he knew something that people didn't um but i think there was there's with any new technology there's always a, a there should be a healthy fear of what it can do and the power that the, those technologies wield and what's in your control and what isn't and that can go down to whether you're talking about actual like physical harm or the power of it as a you know a device of of social media or whatever you know and influencing opinions and things like that i mean we see that with with facebook and twitter now um it's been it's been raging for years in terms of the power of information being thrown about and information and misinformation and how it influences the world um, to say nothing of like the money that's being behind it, that pushes all those those ideals forward, but um, I mean, there's a lot of great fiction about just the <laughs> being yeah. afraid of new technologies, uh, no matter the era. And it's it's funny how all these things are given to you, are uh, given to like the public in terms of, well, here's this great new thing that makes everything convenient. This is great. Here's a new thing. But is it really in your best interest? Because how does it, how does it really operate? You know, uh, is it being, are you being exploited by it? Is it, you know, what are you losing by using this thing? And um, I think that's, that's always the balance. And so it's, it's funny how prescient, uh, you know, a nuclear sort of terror, not nuclear terror, like a nuclear panic kind of movie really relates to almost any technology going forward. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy how, how, uh, yeah, well, that speaks to its relevance today. Yeah, it, 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 that's the thing. It doesn't end. <laughs> it's, if it's not nuclear power, it's social media, it's, it's technology, it's, it's all the microphones and cameras everywhere. Um, it's, yeah, um, boy. I don't use microphones. I, this is all done through telekinesis to anyone listening. So, yeah, it's pretty amazing how he does it. It's, yeah. That's a reconsider technology. He's speaking with a with his mind through a series of harmonic keys, and that he's hitting in just the right way with his brainwaves. It's, it's a amazing. new division at the studio called Reconsider Tech. <laughs> reconsider Tech, yeah. <laughs> um, or Recontechimation. We're still working on that. that, that we're working on the name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I mean, yeah, we keep talking about this film and, and the this, this scary parts and, and really the messages of it. But, um, but there's so much great talent attached to this, right? I mean, oh my God. The movies, it's like overflowing with uh, just a great, great cast of character actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of which have been on the show. So I guess mm-hmm. let, let's, you know, we talked about Jack Lemon already and, and, you know, this was at a high point of his career just coming off of, uh, an Oscar win for Save the Tiger. He's coming off the front page, and this is long after his Billy Wilder work, uh, although he would long still... After. Yeah. Uh, Jane Fonda's at the height of her career. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is a perfect know, part for her at that point, too, right? Perfect. And She was an and, activist and 
and outspoken and everything like that at the time. Yeah, she was very much uh, anti-nuclear energy and was very politically involved in the 70s. And she was looking for her and her producing partner, uh, Bruce Gilbert, were looking for a uh, a script to do about nuclear, uh, you know, anti-nuclear energy. So mm-hmm. um, at, at sort of at the same time that Michael Douglas, who is, I guess, you know, part-time actor and part-time producer at this point, you know, he's yeah. acting on the streets of San Francisco and he, but he's also producing one floor of the cuckoo's nest. So, <laughs> right. uh, so he gets this script from Mike Gray uh, just after cuckoo's nest. And he wanted to do this to, to really release it in 76, but uh, mm-hmm. for a number of reasons, it just got delayed and delayed and delayed. And they were just kept kind of developing it. Um, he actually signed Jack Lemon quickly and Jack waited to do this movie and passed on a number of other roles so that he could do this. Cause he just, he saw the strength of it. Oh, wow. So kind of all those, you know, elements combined uh, at that point in their careers, but Jane had a huge run of amazing movies. Uh, I mean, have you seen they shoot horses? Don't they? I haven't. Okay. So that's, might be the one of the darkest of the 70s movies mm-hmm. <laughs> with the least amount of light in it um oh no not not literally but uh it's it's a messed up movie <laughs> very very good <laughs> yeah. and she's doing that right after like barefoot in the park and she's and barbarella and like shaking off that saying like i can do these kind of like kimberly wells that I can do a real story. You know, she can play real characters with depth and, um, you know, they're complicated emotional characters. They shoot horses, don't they, is is one of her best performances for sure. Mm-hmm. But Clute, she won an Oscar for Clute. Um, Coming Home was uh, just before this. Another, uh, she won another Oscar for that. And so she's really at the height of her, I think, creative uh, talent at this point. So it's an interesting, you know, we're sort of hitting all of these people at different parts of their careers. You know, Jack, not that he's on the tail end of his career, but he's way more the veteran, the older actor. Jane's at the height of her career. Michael Douglas is just kind of coming up. And then we've got these other actors who, you know, let's talk about Scott Brady, who plays uh, the plant um, supervisor. And DeYoung. Yeah, uh, DeYoung. Uh, We, this is, welcome back to the show, Scott. Because yeah, he was back him. with us on Gremlins. That's right. Oh, that's right. Gremlins. Yeah. I was I knew I knew we had him on the show. I couldn't quite place him. Me too. When I was watching it, I'm like, I where do I know this guy from? Like I I've seen him somewhere. And yeah, it's he's the sheriff. And uh by the way, go to his IMDB and there is a picture of him from I don't know, the fifties. Oh, my goodness, what a good looking man. Handsome man. <laughs> Very handsome man back then. And of course he plays an older he plays a character in his late fifties, I believe, um, in this movie. So, not that he, you know, whatever. Just very handsome guy. <laughs> Do you have a crush on Scott Brady? Not in this picture of him. I'm <laughs> like, oh my goodness. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, we've got uh, James Hampton, who plays the the PR man for the for the power plant. And welcome back, James. Welcome back, because he's Teen Wolf's dad. Teen, he's Teen Wolf's dad. <laughs> <laughs> you remember him? He was Teen Wolf's dad. Yeah. 
I can guarantee you that's w- what people are going to recognize him from. Well, yeah, I mean, amongst just, many other films, but no, oh. but it's just the way to put it. It's not like oh, he was the dad, Scott general, Howard's dad. Scott, people are going to say who's Scott Howard. It's not like it's not like they ever did. They ever call? I guess they did call him Teen Wolf in the movie, right? <laughs> there was yeah, a, there was a shirt at least they marketed it. Yeah, Styles <laughs> marketed. Styles marketed. You know. <laughs> I had a uh, professor in college, and I won't say his name, but he had a very thick beard that was one of those like beard that went up to like his eyes. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, like you know, some people can grow it up there, and then yeah. all the way down his neck, mm-hmm. and it was big. So I, I always called him Team Wolf's dad. Team Wolf's dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when he wolfed out, he had a lot of hair in the, yeah. in the face. So, yeah. <laughs> um, we've got. Uh, we already mentioned Wilford Brimley, who is yeah. uh, one of the one of the plant engineers who works, I think, directly underneath uh, Jack Goodell. So he's yeah. sort of. Um, I, I don't remember what his exact uh, title is uh, at the plant, but he's right. you know in the room with with Jack Goodell and monitoring the controls. Wilford Brimley, 22 years old and as of this movie. Uh, <laughs> he, oh, he was a guy who, he was born and he looked like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay, he was he was 45 actually, but, you know, still. Yeah. Well, uh, he had that Wilford Brimley look, that same look for like 20 years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's the first I, time on the show for him, right? Yeah. The, welcome to the show, uh, A. Wilford Brimley, as he would be known in The Thing. I kind of saw similarities between his character in this and uh, Blair in the thing. Right, I I would be right there with you. Actually, I think it's kind of the same spot. He's he's a he's a knowledgeable guy that is in the middle of this drama between uh, two forces at at work: people trying to survive and uh, things that are trying to destroy. Kind of, kind of. Well, yeah, and he's at a, a, a crossroads of he knows what could happen. He knows the disaster that could and maybe will happen. Yeah. And what's he going to do about it? Yeah, what you, he's singing that song. What you going to do? What you going to do? Well, and then, and then, and he, he takes, you know, and, and I guess where that splits is in, in the thing he gets very aggressive about what, how he's going to stop it. Whereas in this, he takes kind of a back seat and takes, you know, turns a blind eye to it and goes with the, with the company, at least for a while. Yeah. I mean, for the most, yeah, for the most part it, until the end. Yeah. He is, he follows the company line and, and, you know, he's, he decides to trust what uh, the company would put forward. Um, whereas, yeah. And the thing it's, you know, at a certain point, yeah, he takes that aggressive stance, and then you don't even know at what point was he doesn't. Well, spoilers, doesn't he? He's one of them. He's the one. Of, he's the thing at a certain point, right? Uh, yes, but you never know. I mean, when does the can, turn happen? We can. You spend don't know eight, when the- eight hours covering the thing, which we will next year for its <laughs> its birthday. But uh, so we're gonna be talking. Yeah, there's gonna be a marathon episode. I think we're gonna. I think it's going to get a lot of attention. Yeah. Well, we, you know, you don't That's, know exactly. There's a lot of questions in that film about when certain characters uh, are, are taken over and you really don't know when it happens. They don't give you any kind of clue as to when, when it happens with Blair, but 
but that's a classic character where it's like you're you're not you're not that i mean he's not the protagonist but like he's a supporting character that's there you know kind of there with the protagonist and then has to sort of choose an alliance you know choose a, what what's going to what's going to be done and what's best you know you don't get a, too much of a read into the character it's, uh, itself but it's more like what what's best for him what's the choice he's going to make um and unfortunately like in this it, it, you know spindler's choices do not help jack uh th- through the very end i mean he 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 gets a slight vindication in a sense but you know depending on your opinion of things it's like too little too late man yeah um but sometimes it takes egregious uh uh major egregious sort of things to sort of turn someone whereas you know jack wasn't turned too much he he, he thought of the potential of what could happen and he made choices whereas spindler he needed his best friend to die <laughs> to make a choice yeah um so yeah yeah a great performance by brimley here but we've also got uh peter donat and james karen who are working at the tv uh, studio and they are Jane Fonda's uh, direct bosses. Yep. Uh, yep. Peter Donat plays Jackovich, who's he's the, the head of the sort of the news division, I believe. Uh, something like that. Yes. Yeah. No, he like owns the station or something, right? Yeah. Or, yeah. The, no. yeah. yeah. Or not owns the station, but like runs it. Runs or... it. Yeah. Uh, he's he's the guy in charge. Ultimately. He's yeah. He's the big boss. Yeah. And. You know, I, I've he's a character actor that's been in a, a million things. Uh, he's, I mean, I knew him mostly from Godfather Two, where he's he's got a small role in that, but uh, he's been in so many films. But really great here as that, you know, and his element in the story really deals with Kimberly Wells and sexism in work, and uh, you know, she he really wants to keep Kimberly in her place that. I mean, he says, he says to her that, you know, she's not, what, what does he say? I, I wrote it down here. Hold on. Uh, you didn't get this job for your investigative duties. Like he's right. constantly referring to her looks and as is the anchor of the, uh, of the, the news show that she's on Yep. that they're, they're talking about, you know, there's, there's a, there's constantly referencing like her hair, her looks, she'll do what she's told. Um, you know, putting her in her place that she's a pretty face that's there to do light news, and that's what people want to see. Mm-hmm. Whereas, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, it's like that's that's what the news is is like, you know, here's some events, current events, things that are happening, all that, but also here's the lighter side, and here's a beautiful woman to tell you how, how good things are going to be, and all of that, that there's a, a formula to the whole thing. Um, and she's not, as they state, and she states, she's not an investigative reporter. She doesn't do hard news. She does the fluff. Um, but I assume that's not why she got into journalism. Right. Uh, and then we've got James Cameron, who's more of the, the uh, like the technical director of the, or technical producer of, of the, uh, the newscast and yeah. who they report directly to him. I think you, you misspoke briefly. I think you said James Cameron, but you mean James Karen. Aren't they the same guy? Oh God! Wait, what if they are? <laughs> you know the uh, Pathmark guy. Was he Pat the Path? James. I always knew James Karen uh, <laughs> growing up as the Pathmark guy. Pathmark guy on the We've East Coast. 
Yeah, we did, right? Because he's Sorry. coming back on the show from our Return of the Living Dead episode Absolutely. way back in year one. Yeah. Uh, he did great work on this and uh, and in those Pathmark commercials, which yeah. I think I saw on my WPIX uh, station. Hell yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah, he was the Pathmark guy. So when I remember seeing him in, in movies, like, oh, oh, he acts too. <laughs> yeah, he's not just a spokesperson. He <laughs> he's acts. Just, he doesn't just shop at Pathmark. <laughs> <laughs> he just blindly gets his groceries at Pathmark and tells everybody about it. He's actually got an agenda, but he's great here because yeah. you know he's a he's an actor I wish got more credit because he's always good in whatever small role you know he never really had a big role, uh, a big like leading role in 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 these films. But he's great in Poltergeist. He's great in mm-hmm. Return of the Living Dead. He's so funny, and he's good here in that you can see that. He also wants to do what's right, but he's also trying to toe the company line too. So you you do see that battle of, it, it feels like he's really on Kimberly's side, but there's really not, like he's not in a position to really do anything about it. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I mean, he's, he's another character that kind of struggles a little bit, but yeah, he's more, he's more, he's got to do what he has to do uh, until it, I don't know. It, eventually he makes the right decision, right? Well, yeah. I mean, he 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 lets her shoot that interview with Wilford Brimley at the end, and he keeps it going. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like he 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 was always pushing for her, but I think you know it, he's. I think it's like sort of construed that he's so close to uh, uh, Jakovich in terms of you know. Right. He he's got to fight that balance, but he's more or less on her side the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, we've got R- Richard Hurd. Hmm. Hmm who was, I think, on every single TV show that was made between the years 1975 and 1992. Yeah, I think he, yeah, he's appeared on all of them. Um, many, <laughs> absolutely. All of oh, the shows. Good. Oh, he's the best. He oh, was, uh, for me, though, he was most notable as the supreme leader in the miniseries V. Oh, okay, sure. So, yeah. That's uh, but he was always he always felt like that. Besides playing the ultimate villain there, mm-hmm. uh, most of the time he it felt like he played sort of that like lovable grandpa type. Uh, yeah, I think that that uh, that comes from that uh, that's when he was on Seinfeld. The the uh, he played a uh, Wilhelm, I think it was Mr. Wilhelm. Oh yeah, yeah um but i mean yeah that but that's just the type he is like he's just sort of the the guy you trust uh and love <laughs> but he's great here as really the yeah really the super villain uh, of of the film yeah i know that's the thing he's the, he's the big bad of the of the film uh chairman of the board you know his his motivations are keeping that company afloat making sure they get that the, those extra licenses um, and it's, you know, and he basically, he's pushing for, for when things get desperate at the end, you know, he's pushing to make sure that, that Jack cannot tell his story on, on the air and whatever they have to do, uh, you know, and it leads to the SWAT team gunning Jack down <laughs> in the booth. And, um, he had no, you don't see any kind of 
internal battle or remorse or anything like no. this. This guy has a he's one track uh, mind uh, about this. So to see him in that kind of role is so uh, is is kind of a treat because <laughs> he. He he's can play, good at it. <laughs> he, can, he can do bad all by himself. Um, if he yeah, wants. it's a win, win at any cost. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he can wear a three-piece suit like nobody else. He sure can. Yeah. <laughs> Whether he's wearing, you know, a lot of movies or shows, he he wore that hair piece, and sometimes he didn't, and he looked great either way. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, it's it's shocking, like how the level he'll go to and how easily he'll get to that level to keep this story quiet. Yeah. So you've got your corruption and your conspiracy and your murder, essentially uh, all stemming from, from his character. Absolutely. Uh, and he, he's making, he's making chess moves, you know, he, he was going to allow, he was allow the news media in to do the interview because Otherwise, he was going to flood. Jack was going to flood the plant and make it re- useless, um, right? Which would have been a bigger loss. So at least he was buying time. You know, he was always trying to figure out a way to to get to the next, uh, uh, survive another day or survive another hour uh, before they had to do something. Well, you know, <clears throat> yeah, he was gambling at the end of allowing the press in, which yeah. saves face for him. Yeah that it's like, well, I'm not hiding anything, but he also knew that the amount of time it was going to take them to set up the equipment that hopefully he could get the SWAT team through and get rid of Jack, whether they arrest him or shoot him, it does not matter. He doesn't care. And you can see that in that stare down when, when Jack Goodell and and him have that stare down from uh, the control room to the booth that, you know, neither of them is going to back down. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's a battle of wills. And then really who's going to have the upper hand. I mean, he, like both of them got kind of lucky in, in a sense, uh, because like, again, if Richard sort of knew how to, how to speak properly about all this, if he wasn't not, excuse me, not Richard, if Jack, Jack knew yeah. how to, yeah. Uh, if Jack could explain himself from the outset at the, at the beginning of the interview, you know, things would have gone really bad. So you, and you can tell that those are those moments where uh, Richard Hurst's character is just sort of grateful that, you know, the minutes are ticking on and he can, there, there might be a way to salvage all this. Yeah. That, the end, that last act of the film is so powerful and so intense. They do such a great job of building, you know, they're really building the intensity throughout the film and it all culminates at the end. Yeah. It's, you know, it groups in. You know how much I love these seventies, seventies for these 70s, gritty seventies movies. Seventies, yeah, gritty. <laughs> um, and this is, you know, this is in with that group of those conspiracy theory movies. It's Parallax View, All the President's Men, Marathon Man, The Conversation, Three Days of the Condor, uh, even Rollerball <laughs> is one of those that you know big brother is watching that it, it's you know uh, uh, like we mentioned a man versus an institution uh and this movie fits in with those and so many of those films have the downer you know negative ending that's sort of hopeless and that that big brother wins and you know this movie is is uh, 
much much the same where where Jack gets that opportunity. He's he's on TV with Kimberly and he's got the floor. Yeah. And he just can't get the words out. He gets tripped up by the technical speak that he couldn't actually say what he was I mean maybe nuclear physicists knew what he was talking about but the the layman you know the average person who's sitting there watching the six o'clock news or the you know the 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 news that they cut in with here they're not going to understand what he's talking about and they the the feed is cut by the time he's able to like start getting into what he's really trying to say and that at the same time that's right when the SWAT team comes in perfectly Mm-hmm. and and they they murder him yeah yeah it's uh it's it's tough because it, you know, like and i think like the fact that he, jack blows his uh his speech you know or just everything he's supposed to say because he's trying to point at paint himself he's like listen i'm not a bad guy like I, you know this is what i do i love this this is and this is what happened listen let me he, he tries to paint that picture and it it is very technical it's very like it's very an engineering kind of brain um, using that kind of the, the reason and logic of that engineering brain to appeal to a person, person's good sense. Like here's, here's logical things that happened and this is what we know. And, and he's just trying to like, he, he fills it all with backstory and it's his, and it's uh, to his detriment, of course, because he doesn't get to the, the real root of the issue. The thing that really could sink everything. And um uh, because it is almost like you can't in his that type of way where you, you can't drop just an explosive bomb. You need to set the stage. You got to paint that picture. You got to say like, this is how we led to this thing. I'm going to tell you. Um, and, uh, and, and that, and it works against him. Um, it's a, it's a, <laughs> and, and it's funny because that paranoia, that seventies paranoia. I mean, it's like there are, cautionary kind of media these days and then the modern era maybe like in a sense black mirror is but you know black mirror is a little is so sci-fi ish that you can almost uh, but people relate to it like they can see how their cell phones and their computers and their ais and uh, where things could go in the future um to just to terrify you but i think for the most part that paranoia of the seventies has been drowned out by the great products that we have. The, mm. the, 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 the things companies have learned that they don't have to be so secretive there. You know, it's the, the big, big, it's, it, it was Silicon Valley that sort of changed everything. Absolutely. You, yeah. You connect everyone and you have people voluntarily give you their information um, and you control it all, you know? And, and that's, that's, and it's like oh, here's all these free services you don't have to pay for just give us all your information send yeah. us the here's all the pictures send, send us all the pictures of your children and and where you live and where you go on vacation and what you like and you know tell every and you can tell everyone else and everyone can can like that and and tell you that that, that how great that is and meanwhile all that all that that data that marketers have been after for for years they can never compile the, the amount of data that facebook was able to gather in mm-hmm. a short period of time um and it was about complete and you know today it's about complacency i mean sure there's tons of people who aren't on facebook anymore don't use it but it's hundreds of millions of people uh a billion people all over the world something like that i mean it's it's a crazy number um and just a matter of you know who do you trust with your your technology with your information 
Yeah, ca- capitalism really won out in the 80s and it, it overruled and drowned out the conspiracy theory of the 70s, which which was really born out of the politics of the 60s. So all the between Kennedy and Johnson and, and especially Nixon and what the government was really doing created this paranoia and created that tone and that that's expressed so well in film. I mean, I think part of what is so strong about the the 70s films and the new Hollywood movement is because it's a reaction to political the political uh, state of of this country at least yeah well and it I mean, expresses it so well yeah well it's i mean it it's it's health for any republic it's healthy for the citizenry to question those in power um and those in power are going to sort of do whatever they can to to quash that or to to settle those fears but i mean you should never stop asking questions <laughs> like you yeah. should never stop um and the, I mean, it's not to say that the, like the, you know, I'm saying this stuff about Facebook or whatever. It's not like there haven't been opponents to all of that. And people who say that, you know, these, none of this should have happened. And these, these big tech companies should be broken up and all these conglomerates that are forming and all these mergers shouldn't happen. Um, but, you know, this is a movie that speaks to one tiny fraction to all, all of those things of, of, of power wielded by, just a few people can be manipulated and wielded uh, to, to people's uh, detriment later on um, in the pursuit of power, money, what have you. Uh, it, it, I don't, yeah, the 70s, it's a different, it's a different time now. We're very, I, yeah. I think, I mean, it's, it, well, I don't want to get into it. It, it <laughs> is, it is, but there's, there are still similarities that, you yeah. know, what you're saying of like needing, that yeah you should you should always question the government and what the what there are do they really have your best interests and that's such a loaded question and you know we've had a, a, a plenty of political issues especially over the last five years um mm-hmm. that has been going on but yeah so it, it's it's what makes this film still relevant is that big brother is absolutely still out there and still watching and still to an extent in control of things and and you always need to question what their motives are and what they're uh, you, you know how you can push back on it yeah i and it's it's a funny thing because it's like we you know there should be a, a healthy level of distrust among these the, the, among the powerful or, or for the powerful uh, among the people that don't have the power and it's funny how there can be um you know people that will, there are proxies to uh, uh, fighting against that power where, you know, some of it's reasonable, like it's something like China syndrome seems reasonable. You can have this fear of what do we really know about nuclear power, how safe it can be, that if, if the reason to keep nuclear power going is, is based out of money and, and, and continuing that growth and all of that. And, uh, you know, there should be a heavy skepticism about people's motivations. And then you have, you know, and again, while you question government or other corporations or whatever, uh, in the modern day today, let's see, you know, conspiracy theories continue to, to, to gain traction, but they, they're not based in on on a lot of reality. I mean, the, the idea that there's no evidence to support a lot of the 
conspiracy theories out there that somehow like left leaning billionaires are funding pedophiles and and all that i mean like yeah sex trafficking is a huge issue globally and in this country um to to, to think that it's it's happening in the hands of a of, of very openly uh public figures seems a little a little out there i mean I, you know you got to follow the money but uh, it's just the the conspiracy theories can sort of drown out anything that makes sense later on so mm-hmm. um you throw enough as as we deal with in the modern day as we've been dealing in the last few years misinformation you throw enough misinformation out there it means you can't trust any information and that's right. that, that's what the misinformation people sort of thrive on i mean there's nothing about this movie that speaks to any of that but it 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 would start there you know uh misinformation was coming out about jack's character at the end yeah we heard reports he was drunk yeah he was he has having a mental and emotional breakdown but we know the truth that it, he was so emotionally racked with guilt and about you know trying to do the right thing. Um, but they painted a picture of someone who was out of his mind because of, of drinking and, and mental issues and right. all that. It's, it's just a, it's a tiny little piece. You just discredit him just enough. You don't really have to believe anything he had to say. Yeah. Um, all, all it takes is for them to just say it with no proof, yeah. As we've seen other people do, just say things without any kind of evidence of it, and people will believe it. And you, you plant that seed. Yeah, because depending on where your where your bias kind of pushes you to, if you wanted to doubt that, like really, there's there's a problem with nuclear power. I I thought nuclear was great. Oh, but the guy who's saying it's not, he's a big drunk, and he had them at gunpoint. He's crazy. Like, there's no way. You know, your bias will already inform where you're going to end up. So that's why the misinformation is very important um, about, you know, what do you, you're predisposed to sort of already believe something based on an emotional reaction. Yeah. Um, so, you know, this, this slightly plays into that at the end. What, uh, how, how close do you think this film is to reality? Does it feel like this could really happen? Yeah, I mean, part of me, part of me wants to believe that, it, yeah, that 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 there are insidious people that would that would allow people to die and 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 take drastic measures to protect their, uh, to protect their you know capitalistic interests and stuff. Um, but that's that's an easy way to just sort of see see evil in a in a certain way that I can't trust them. I don't know if. I don't know. I don't know if that's anything like this has happened. In, in, but the reason it sort of resonates is almost because you can kind of believe human nature in a certain way. That exactly, yeah. Human nature would kind of point to like, there's got to be people that would definitely do this, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it seems like part of what I I connect with on the movie is that these people make the decisions that you would expect of them in reality. Mm-hmm. Of course, the court the, the, on the from the corporate level, they're gonna they're gonna try and hush it up and make it go away and divert, yeah. divert attention. Whereas the people on the ground, you know, boots on the ground type people, are gonna have very different reactions. And that you yeah. could see, you know, these engineers aren't in it for the money. You know, they're doing it for the science of it and what yeah. the product gives to people power you know a different power <laughs> a different electricity power. you know mm-hmm. 
so that they're connected on, from a totally different point of view than the corporate level. So, yeah, I could see this absolutely happen. You know, a situation like this happening, and it's interesting that it's not just interesting; it's kind of incredible that twelve days after the movie comes out, that the Three Mile Island situation in Pennsylvania happened. Right. Yeah. And it's almost the same. The scary thing is that it's almost the exact same thing that happened in the movie. Almost right. exactly. I mean, yeah, you like can a, read about the technical side of it, but it's it's eerie. Yeah, basically human error kind of created this accident and that, you know, a glitch, glitches in human error. Uh, uh, may, yeah. Uh, which is what the, the movie shows you. Um, I, I'm sure <laughs> I can imagine that it had to have fueled some of the nuclear paranoia and then also fuel ticket sales inadvertently. Um, oh, definitely. A little bit, right? Yeah. Well, I mean that, you know, the movie was, was doing fine. This was a big movie, a big release, and it um, had some major stars from the, from that era. So it's going to do okay anyway. But, you know, once the three mile Island incident happened, people were, yeah, I mean, people were, sort of nuclear obsessed of that or, you know, the, the fear was just constant. So uh, it did, it absolutely drove ticket sales up and this was a, a huge hit financially. Yeah. Wow. Uh, hmm. So let's talk a little bit about the, um, the production here. So it's interesting that Jane Fonda was trying to snatch up the rights to the Karen Silkwood story and was unsuccessful at doing that. So if she had, I don't, not that we wouldn't have had the China syndrome, but we would have had a very different version of Silkwood probably much earlier. All uh, right. Yeah, sure. And oh, even yeah. her story is sort of mirrored in this, in the, the accident with their, with their uh, sound man who, Mm-hmm. is sort of becomes the courier and is going to take these uh the evidence the the papers from Jack and give them to the uh the news bring them to this hearing to expose the company and on the way is uh you know tracked down and followed by uh the company's security team and pushed off a cliff in in his yeah. car and I find it interesting. They don't kill him. He survived. He survives. I, yeah. I remember, I remembered him dying. So see, watching it this time, I was like, Oh, yeah. I forgot. And he actually lived. He lives. And then, you know, but the evidence is gone. So. Right. Which is essentially the same as what happened to Silkwood. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, the, uh, the Kimberly Wells character was originally written as a man. Oh, and do you know who is going to play that man? Paul Newman, potentially. Uh, no, that would be amazing. But Newman definitely would have been Jack Goodell for sure. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> like I could so easily see him in that role. But yeah, uh, it, uh, Richard Dreyfus was up for the Richard Dreyfus. What Ken, Ken? What's the male version of Kimberly? Kim Kimberly. Yeah. <laughs> Kimberly, yeah, Kimberly Wells, the man. Ken Burley. Ken, Ken, Ken Burley. Ken Burley Wells. <laughs> Ken, middle name Burley. <laughs> yeah. Last name Wells. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dreyfus in this movie. How do you, uh, you Dreyfus man? Sure. Always. Dreyfus 5000. I'm in. 
I'm a, I'm coming from the other side. I I can't stand Dreyfus. He drives me nuts <laughs> in almost everything. So Jaws sure. is like the exception, but I know. Yeah. Well, it's maybe a, it, stand by me. It, I don't know why you tell him that every time he stops by the studio. I know. But, remember, yeah. I'm Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why you do that. <laughs> he loves coming on the. He loves coming by. I just there's something so. Uh, theatrical about him to me that when he's on I, I very rarely buy that character i just see i just see actor actor playing he, a character he's big he goes big you can't miss him yeah uh so i think in this movie it, it all worked out the way it should have let's just say that uh the script was written originally by mike gray he was also an engineer and a documentary filmmaker so uh he wanted to direct the film but being that he had no major experience, uh, they they took the script from him, had uh, T. S. Cook rewrite it and polish it up, and then James Bridges was was brought in to uh, do the final rewrite and and directed the film. So, uh, I really I I think the 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 pacing of the film is really well done. I especially like the scene where the initial incident happens. I think yeah. you know the like it's a difficult scene to shoot because you're trying to tell a lot just by looking at switches and levers and knobs. And you're, how, how do you tell a story through that? Well, it comes down to how everyone's reacting to that. Right. I mean, you, right. you've got, you've got some solid acting going on among everybody. And uh, I mean, Jack lemon could, could tell you that uh, the end of the world's happening in two minutes, just by, with a look apparently like, yeah, just that good. Well, yeah. So, and he's so, calm and cool and collected when those first couple first few minutes and and trying to assess like you can see him just what's happening what are what all right what do we do let's do this let's do this okay this isn't working and then they're just all they're they're getting conflicting reports from their equipment and they're just baffled of how this is still the situation just continues to get worse and it's almost at that red level mm -hmm. uh when he just taps that that uh, one meter and then realizes yeah. that, oh my God, it was reading it incorrectly that there's yeah. actually like no water. We're, we're telling it to get rid of water, the coolant. And we don't have any, when we don't, when there's like, it's already lost so much. So yeah, they had to go reverse it. But uh, that scene is just so well done. And their reactions in the booth of Jane Fonda and, and Michael Douglas of like, no, this is a real situation. And, mm -hmm that they're scared and uh, that it was just really it's the i think really the centerpiece of the movie well it's funny because it's like that that the real panic of what that scene means and everything you know the the whole movie opens with the hustle and bustle and high stakes news business and it's setting up for the for them to go live on the air and you, you sort of feel the energy and the panic and the, and all that, the, just to get, to get this live shot that turned out to, I don't remember what story she was actually covering. Um, there's people coming, they were it's uh, sort of telegrams? like a talent show. It was like, they're, yeah, there were different singing telegrams and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. But so, so the, the prep work and just like the, the energy of that, you know, of just going to a live shot on TV, um, the, the movie sort of sets you up already for like intense situations, but of course they're talking about just setting up for a live shot with a bunch of uh, people, 
you know, out in the street for a live telecast. And then you get real panic and intense situations in, you know, the control booth. So the, and then, you know, yeah. And then just like the professionals in the newscast, they, Jack Lemon and the crew, they, they handle it professionally straight. And there's so many different levels of intensity. And then by the time it's just Jack and, and Kimberly in the booth, um, at the end of the movie where he just, I mean, he, he, he goes so far. I mean, his, his intensity level just gets to a point where you don't, uh, you would not have anticipated that because he's been so, while he's been sort of jacked up and energized throughout, um, it, there, at least like he, the panic finally sets in when they set up the fake scram, um, to mess with him. And he's just like, no, 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 no. Like he thinks the worst is about to happen. And then it was all a ruse to sort of get the SWAT to come in mm -hmm. and they don't even tell him to freeze. He's just running and they just, Oh no. Yeah. Away. Yeah. They just blow him away. <laughs> yeah, like, but it, it, there is that sort of uh and then with her at the end, then trying to, again, this intense moment, trying to get the story, get the scoop, get the real thing. Um, it's like two different industries and their, and the, and the energy between both of them and what, you know, in the beginning it's her energy to just make sure they can get this telegram story out and then it was her at the end trying to get the truth about jack out yeah. uh, so was, i mean great great uh great screenplay eh yeah really really well done and i just i love these performances on for from all three of the leads so yeah. much i, I love i'm a huge jack lemon fan and he's just one of those guys that i just i don't want anything bad to happen to him you know, and things, bad things happen to a lot of his characters and bad most of them are through heartache. Yeah. Uh, I think this is the only character of his that actually dies in a film. I can't really? think of another one, another film that he's in where his character dies. Damn, I don't know. Yeah, probably right. Yeah. I don't know. I have to go back. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, there's some technical stuff in this movie that that stood out to me this time. There is sound is a really important part of this movie. And it's not that obvious, but there's a tremendous amount of side noise and background noise in the movie. Like when you're in the plant, there's just there's nobody can hear each other. Right. right. And then uh, because the sounds of the actual machinery. And then when they're in the, the control room, there's so much there's chatter. There's. Um, there's, you know, technical computer sounds in the TV, in the TV station, there's constantly, uh, talking and uh, you're, you're hearing other actors, uh, you know, talking on a low level, but then also you've got, there's no music in the movie. No, yeah, there's one, right. there's one song by Stephen Bishop somewhere in between. It's the opening over the opening credits, but that's it. There's it's uh, there's no soundtrack. There's no score. Apparently, they recorded a full score, but then opted not to use it. Wow. <laughs> you know, even over the end credits, there's no score, which is always that means it's a powerful movie. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> so I, th I think sound is uh, is an important part of setting that tone. And I think getting you in, in a certain emotional space uh, for, for the film. 
Yeah, the, uh, the, the, there wasn't any manipulation of using the music to accentuate those scenes and, or anything. It's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's letting the, the character of each scene kind of uh, speak to you. Right. And the intensity of the performances. So uh, great, a great active choice there by, uh, by Mr. Bridges. Of course, you know, the movie comes out and then the nuclear uh, industry, uh, you know, doesn't have a real positive reaction to it. Sure. I wouldn't. <laughs> if, I was, if I owned a nuclear power plant, I'd probably say this is kind of bullshit. If if somebody ever did this about Recon Cinema Studios, you know, there, there there'd be hell to pay for it. I I hate to think of it wouldn't all be of, true. <laughs> I hate to think of all people. of our fired interns making a movie about this. Uh, but they all signed NDAs. They can't. They can't make. They can't talk about this. this and they were all fired for good reasons. Absolutely. They my my it. coffee has to be at a very specific temperature. Absolutely. Or I will not drink it, and I have the right to throw it on, at you. If if I'm given a script and it's too sharp, and I get a paper cut, you're out of here. I don't like sharp paper. And they know I, that. I can't read a script if there's a blur from a, a printer. I I can't. I can't mm -hmm. do it. Okay, no. just takes me right out of it. So don't you dare decorate your workspace with personal pictures. No, don't you dare. It must be cold and <laughs> empty walls. Everywhere. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It's the only way work can get done. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so there's uh, you know they react very neg negatively to the movie. They're they're sort of going after it for the brief window that they can, you know, they're calling it character assassination and just, just pure fiction. Yeah. Obviously 12 days after the release, um, they have other, other fish to fry. And this movie was only proven true to a certain extent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and the three mile Island incident, you know, definitely boosted this in the profile uh, of the public for sure. Um, it's, uh, it got four Oscar nominations. So we've got Jack Lemon, Jane Fonda. I uh, was nominated for best screenplay and art direction. Didn't win any of them. Didn't win any. Went over four, unfortunately. It's a bummer. Uh, the Kramer versus Kramer uh, came out that year. And that mm. was sort of the, the Oscar winner of, of the year. Which I'm not going to I'm not going to necessarily object to that one like I would ordinary people over Raging Bull or you know certain you know Gandhi over certain movies and yeah. uh, out of Africa maybe you know I'll I'll let this one slide Kramer versus Kramer is a is a uh, a very powerful movie on its own way so. Well, hey, I mean, uh, you know, Jack and Jane uh, won the BAFTA uh, uh, that, for this film, uh, and uh, Jack, I think, won won at Cannes for for Best Actor. So, yeah, though there's definitely awards to go around, and and many many nominations, and and all of the awards uh, that that were happening, but and all deserved. They just uh, went over for at the Oscars specifically. Did you know the China Syndrome was up for the 2005 Satellite Award for Best Classic DVD? Didn't, didn't win know it that. that. Didn't know it. Didn't win it either. <laughs> what did? La Dolce Vita. <laughs> La Dolce Vita. Yeah. Oh, and it was up against a lot of movies. What year was that? 2005. <laughs> Best Classic DVD. Interesting. I have the DVD and, you know, it's... 
it's it was up fine. Against, <laughs> it was up against Easy Rider. It was up against Ragtime, mm. The Snake Pit, and Zorba the Greek, among others. Anyway, back to <laughs> 1979. Let's talk. Uh, let's talk a little bo. Ready for a little box office? Sure. Yeah. I had a hard time actually finding out a lot of straight info on this one, but oh, uh, yeah. Okay. What did you find out? Uh, It starts. The movie's got a six million dollar budget. It shoots towards the end of 1978 and early 1979. Yeah. Uh, It's released and it shoots all over Southern California. There, there's specific intersections, especially specifically where the when he's being chased by the security men on the freeway. Yeah. That's right, right by where a place that I've I've worked. So that's sort of near. That's going up the five. That looked the, very familiar to me. Yeah, it's I like f- near the one eighteen and the five. It's the stretch between the one eighteen and the fourteen. Yes, yes, I like it up there. It's a beautiful, beautiful mountains uh, with the with the sprawling highways through it. Yeah, and you can tell that it's. Uh, it looks like Lancaster, you know, Palmdale kind of area or Santa mm-hmm. Clarita even. Where they uh, where they shot you know him exiting the freeway and going towards the plant, yeah, yeah. These like empty areas, you know, where it's just like secluded, nested out of the way. Yeah, because the power plant and the name of it—that's all a fake. That's a fictitious town or area. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Not real. Fictitious that, means not real, made up. You, you got it. Hmm. Uh, it comes out uh, March 16th, 1979. Uh, it's got a $35 million domestic run, 50 mil- 51 million worldwide. So that's a that's a, a big hit. Huge hit. Uh, it's number 23 of 1979. Oh. So it yeah, it, it's, uh, it ends big, up. Man. Yeah, Kramer versus Kramer was the number one box office movie too. And everyone Oscars was going movie. to see this. This this marriage breakdown. It's uh, so funny, like thinking. Father. Yeah, what 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 a number one box office attraction was in 1979 versus, you know, now it's always going to be whatever action spectacle, whether it's right. a Marvel movie or, or whatever. So yeah, this is after Jaws, uh, Kramer versus Kramer. Yeah, that's crazy. What was? How much money did did Kramer versus Kramer make? Uh, I don't have it. it it's more than fifty one million. That's <laughs> clearly that much. A yeah. lot more. <laughs> but uh, China Syndrome lands right between the black hole and nineteen forty one. And now people look wow. at nineteen forty one as a huge failure for Spielberg, but that had such high expectations. Whereas, yeah, you know, the China Syndrome, other than having strong acting talent there were no expectations like that yeah i feel 1941 was not made for less than six million dollars <laughs> no definitely not uh so yeah that's um so it it did well i think it's got a clearly the reaction mixed with the real life three mile island situation uh and then years later the chernobyl situation in 86 uh you know those i think only helped the life of the film and kept its relevance and now i think it's got the the broader term of of the political end of it is sort of what the angle it speaks from now yeah not necessarily the nuclear specific issue but even the even kimberly's storyline of of a woman trying to be successful and advance in her career without having to rely on her 
looks uh, is also another element that stands out stronger today. Uh, yeah, I have to agree with you there. It's um, yeah, the the sort of sexism or, or anything isn't that isn't so overt. I think it's it's almost presenting a reality and uh, of of the time. And um, she wasn't playing anyone. She wasn't playing it as uh, you know. Th this is an important thing for women necessarily. She was like, like her character was sort of just doing what was best for her and for the public good. And um, which I, you know, it, it, so it's not an overt statement about, you know, <laughs> about those kinds of things, but, um, but she's so compelling and, you know, just, I mean, it's Jane Fonda. I mean, it's just like, she, she draws you in without really, like without a lot of force, you know, mm -hmm. I feel like it's like you're, you're, you're drawn to her, um, just by her sheer, I don't know, her show talent or something like that. There's just something about Jane Fonda that it's, you can't help but be engaged with her um, when she's speaking and, and doing things. And she brings such a humanity to, to the role. Like it's, mm -hmm. she's, she might be career driven or ambitious or whatever, but you know, she's just trying to get to the truth and it's very much a, a compassionate kind of, uh, of point of view. Um, so yeah, I'm a big fan of, of what she did with this one. Yeah, and it's the strength of these actors is really the key here. And yeah. when I, I mean, that's how you judge good acting is that when you watch these movies, do you see that actor, like I was talking about with, with Dreyfus, or do you see that character? And for these, you know, I see the character more than the actor who's playing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's do. Let's go to our rating system. Our Reconsider Stars. Uh, how many Reconsider Stars would you give this one? One to Ooh. ten. Boy, oh boy. I mean, um, this is tough. This is tough. One to ten, eh? Well, I'll tell you what it is, and it's not a one. It's not a two. It's not a three. It's not a six, right? Seven not, not seems me. low. Seven seems low. Uh huh. You're, you're correct about that. <laughs> eight point nine. I'm nine? yeah. I'm I'm gonna land it at a nine. Yeah, I mean, I think that it has to be right. Yeah, that's just my gut. My gut feeling. Well, and and this movie, it feels you know with those other conspiracy theory films of the seventies that that we we're talking about, this one feels a little bit more. I don't know, a little bit more polished, a little bit more of a, like a, feels a little bit more like a studio movie. And I, but I think that works to its benefit. It doesn't feel so um, rebellious as, as the other ones have that tone mm -hmm. uh, that I think actually helps this movie on from an entertainment standpoint too. Yeah. So I, it's just strong across the board, the, the script, the message, it's got multiple layers uh, and the acting performance and the direction, it's all, uh, I, I can't think of anything that really they did that was a wrong move. I'm just kind of curious if the turtle that is Kimberly's pet in the, in the movie that she just keeps out on the porch, I guess, um, <laughs> is that turtle still alive? You think? Oh, probably they they're turtles. like hun hundreds of years old right they live so long she just picks up the turtle like it's it's mail and like like you know like packages of mail and like, carries it in seem some, right <laughs> and then and then she just has some loose lettuce in her fridge 
they hang out like she puts the, the turtle down on the bed i guess like like it's like a dog like what is it's such a <laughs> i'm just curious about that choice script wise or yeah. whatever um that she i mean i guess it, it that's a low that's a low impact creature you know she can't be a news reporter and have a dog to come home to every day yeah, she's got to report yeah. you know she's got to work those long hours turtle pretty self-sufficient right yeah uh you Probably know a smart it, pet choice for for kimberly it's that hard-shelled creature, just like her hard nose, nose for news, hard-headed <laughs> nose for news. I don't know. It, it, it's an interesting choice. Maybe turtles were bigger back in the seventies, and I'm not. You know, this could just be me being missing the cultural sort of the uh, flag of the time. But um, it was a big turtle too. I mean, it was like it I mean, was. Yeah, it wasn't small. It, it, it was not small. It was like the New York <laughs> Times Sunday edition, just a giant <laughs> thing. Um, but uh, yeah, no, this <laughs> I, I I couldn't let us get to the end of the episode without mentioning the turtle. So. Yeah, got it. Got to be turtle talk. <laughs> There's time for turtle talk. We can even work that in. Uh, it's all about lemon lovers and turtle talk. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we sum up the China syndrome. <laughs> lemon lovers and turtle talk. Uh, also, Lord. did you catch the um, Louis Arquette almost a cameo? I. Didn't catch him. I saw his name in the credits at the yeah. end, and I'm like, wait a minute. So he's uh, in the boardroom. I think the, I want to say it's the first time we see Richard Hurd. Uh, they're mm. like celebrating that uh, they they made it through that that panic. So oh, shoot, yeah, I him. yeah. Louis Arquette, uh, who we also recently talked about in our Waiting for Guffman episode. So mm-hmm. God, we've mentioned so many previous episodes this week. All oh, of my which, gosh. yeah, Return of the Living Dead and gremlins and waiting for guffman and uh tango and cash also so this is lewis arquette's third time on the show jesus welcome back again all of those you can find in our archives at www.reconsinimation.com um i think that's gonna about do it for for the china syndrome which is the i think first of our 70s conspiracy movies so we'll and it's coming right in at the tail end of the 70s. So we're, we're going to end up working backwards through those. Okay. Yes. So stay tuned for more. <laughs> uh, yeah. Thank you guys uh, for listening. Don't forget to uh, check out our social media platforms. We're on uh, Reconsid- we're at Reconsideration Podcast on where are we? Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, com, And uh, please uh, check out our, uh, you can listen to us on Apple Music. Uh, what are we? It's Apple Music. It's Stitcher, yep. Spotify, get- anywhere you get yep. your podcast. But don't forget to drop a rating and review because that helps the show uh, a tremendous amount. And we'll will move up in the in the ears uh, of many listeners so uh, don't forget to do that and uh, a quick thank you and shout out to our friends ek wimmer for the theme music uh like always don't forget to check out his podcast laser graves uh talking about everything 80s everything 80s horror and metal horror and just weird you know conspiracy theory stories it's it's a it's a great show so Uh, Check that out. And uh, our friend Curtis Moore for the poster, like usual. Absolutely. Thank you, Curtis. 
And uh, we'll be back here uh, sooner than you think. We've got a, uh, we're, we're winding March down, but we're heading into April. And uh, pretty soon we're going to be wrapping up uh, year three here at the studio. So uh, the rest of uh, the, the, the second half of the year will be our, our, the beginning of year four. What? what the heck are we going to talk about this year? It's going to be. We got a great know. lineup, though. So. I think we're running out of movies. <laughs> never, never. We have three <laughs> decades plus to talk about. So uh, we're we not even some... going back to the Great Train Robbery. I mean, like, forget I, about it. I think I, I, I'm just going to tease that I think we're going to have a really fun one uh, next episode, but we're still working out the contracts for all parties involved. Going to have a fun one. <laughs> Is that a clue? <laughs> That's a huge clue. <laughs> They're going to get it right away. They're going to figure it out. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, uh, thank you for, for listening. Uh, check out The China Syndrome. If you haven't seen it in a while, it's worth a rewatch. It is, uh, it's fantastic performances. All right. We will see you next time on Reconsinimation. Bye now. <laughs>